The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Jay Powell and the Fed speeding up the end of their easy money policy and moving toward rate hikes next year as inflation stays red hot. Stock investors, though, not concerned. The Nasdaq surging more than 300 points. and More gains are on tap. Futures, they are higher. President Biden not likely getting his nearly $2 trillion spending plan for Christmas as one key Democrat drops the hammer. Apple becoming the latest major company to retool its return to work plans. And it is the end of the road for one Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. The Jaguars pull the plug on his run as head coach even before one year at the helm. It is Thursday, December 16th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Thursday morning. Let's get right to it. The markets and your money, because following those nice gains Wednesday, it is looking like nice gains again today. Stock futures, they are once again higher across the board. Dow futures up 264 points, and the NASDAQ futures even more impressive, up more than one half of 1%. Wednesday, of course, saw a big move higher on the Fed news. The Dow rising 1%. The Nasdaq, though, the real star, up more than 2%, jumping more than 300 points. It was a case of investors buying the actual news once the Fed confirmed what most of the smart money already thought it was going to do. And if you missed it, well, here's the really three key takeaways from the Fed. They doubled the pace of their taper, the reduction of bond buying, They say there's two or three rate hikes coming. Well, they didn't say it, but the dot plots, now I owe myself money for saying dot plots, indicates that. And the Fed really still is flexible, meaning if things change, they still can change. We'll get more with Steve Leisman in a few minutes. Now, sort of oddly, 10-year bond yields didn't really move on the Fed, and they are still very low. Despite the threat of rate hikes, the bond market doesn't care. Maybe it's telling a different story. The bond, mark, bond yield under a 10-year note, under 1.5%. Really, an unprecedented situation for fixed income. Well, it is not just our central bank that is in focus for the markets today. Both the Bank of England and the European Central Bank also out with their policy decisions. In the next couple of hours, let's get more down on what to expect. And now trading is shaping up ahead of those calls. And for that, we go to our friend in London, Juliana Tattlebaum. Juliana, good morning. Brian, good morning. Well, European markets so far following Wall Street higher. We've got a strong rally underway in Europe, about one and a half percent worth of gains for the German market out in front, one percent higher for the French market. Here in the UK, FTSE 100 trading about nine tenths of a percent higher. The Swiss market also getting a strong boost this morning. Now, as you mentioned, it is a big central bank day here in Europe. We've got the Bank of England and the European Central Bank, as well as Norges and Norway and the Swiss National 
National Bank also delivering policy decisions already this morning. But the two big ones in focus, the European Central Bank today is expected to confirm the end of its pandemic emergency purchase program by March next year. Meanwhile, with Omicron fast becoming the dominant variant here in the UK and inflation at a 10-year high, the Bank of England will need to decide whether to pull the trigger on its first interest rate hike since the pandemic began at its meeting today. So we're moving at slightly different speeds in the UK, Europe, and the US. But um, people calling today's policy decisions from the ECB and the Bank of England the most consequential in quite some time for Madame Lagarde, the head of the ECB, her most pivotal meeting so far as head of the central bank. Brian? And you guys always do seem to be a few weeks or maybe a few months ahead of us as well. Thinking of everybody in the UK, Juliana, including yourself. Have a great day. Be well. Talk soon. Thank you. All right, now, why don't we stay stateside and some of your morning's top stories here, including a rather grim outlook for Democrats' hopes of delivering President Biden's Build Back Better plan for the holidays. Bertha Coombs is here now with that and more of your top headlines. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Senate Democrats are facing a real likelihood of missing their self-imposed deadline to pass President Biden's nearly $2 trillion social spending plan before the new year. Sources telling NBC News that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's decision to try to pass the plan, potentially not until next March, based on not having the 50 votes needed to get it approved. They cite Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, who continues to withhold his support, adding that talks between Manchin and President Biden to find a compromise are not going well. The decision to delay is also in part because Democrats still haven't finished negotiating the plan or clearing procedural hurdles. Meantime, Goldman Sachs is reportedly ordering its bankers in New York to scrap plans for any holiday parties. According to the Financial Times, top leaders have told teams that they have not already held dinners or other internal events to cancel any remaining plans. The FT says the move is based on rising COVID cases. Earlier this year, Goldman was among the Wall Street firms that took a tough stance on urging staff to return to the office. And Amazon has elevated its former prime boss to a role overseeing the e-commerce giant's health efforts. Neil Lindsay will now serve as senior vice president of the division, according to his LinkedIn profile and people familiar with the move. Lindsay will be tasked with overseeing Amazon's healthcare efforts, including its online pharmacy, telehealth and health diagnostics units. And Brian, in addition to his time overseeing Prime, Lindsay also helped shape branding for Amazon devices like the Kindle e-reader, Fire, and Echo products. It's, a, it's an interesting hire given that they have all these efforts in different parts of the company and they haven't really had one overarching uh, you know, strategy to bring them together. Yeah, and maybe they will now. But going back to your Goldman story, Bertha, I mean, it could be a long, cold winter for New York City businesses again. I mean, you hate to hear it. You want everybody to be safe, obviously, first and foremost. You know, Midtown is, is still kind of a ghost town when it comes to restaurants and many businesses. And Oh, no, it's, it's not, Brian. Fact, I, you haven't been out during the holidays. Uh, I, I, actually, I, I I've yesterday. been out a couple times during the holidays, and it has been packed. And I know a couple of folks not who with, but not with said formally, with let's not do anything. But when they went to a restaurant, it was packed. Yeah, yes, with, with some. I was there actually yesterday, the other day, with tourists, though, but not workers. I mean, not like traders. And 
That's I guess maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Well, I, I, I in this I'm case, wrong, they you... kind of went out for dinner on their own, and when they got to the steakhouse, <laughs> there was not a seat to be had. They had to wait two hours for a table. It's uh, it's people are tr- still trying to be in the spirit even as they want to be safe. Well, good. That that's I, that is. I am very happy to be wrong because you want to be wrong in that. You want everybody to be safe, obviously first and foremost. But listen, people feel safe. Let them go out. I'm going out to dinner tonight. Bertha, maybe I'll see you there. Bertha Coombs, thank you. <laughs> All right, now back to the markets. Yeah, I'll buy. And now back to the markets and your money as investors shrugging off the suddenly hawkish Jay Powell during his press conference following the central bank's policy meeting yesterday. Powell made the case for a faster, taper timeline. If you look at the state of the economy and, and the amount, the strength of demand, the strength of just overall demand, the strength of demand for labor. Um, look at inflation. Look at look at wages. I, I think moving you know moving forward the end of our taper by uh, a few months is is really is really an appropriate thing to do. And I think really Omicron doesn't doesn't really uh, have much to do with that. All right, so what should all of that mean for you? Let's bring in Lee Baker. He is owner and president of Apex Financial. Uh, Lee, uh, welcome back. I mean, listen, again, it's, it's all about COVID. It's Omicron now, whatever the next variant may be. Hopefully there won't be one, right. but it's, it's likely. We're not epidemiologists. We're not medical doctors. Maybe you are. I am not. Um, but as an investor, you have to kind of think about it. How does it affect your thinking? Yeah, well, you absolutely have to think about it. You, you can't ignore it. You can't get away from it. You know, you guys were talking about going out to restaurants. We've got hundreds of professional athletes that uh, are sidelined right now. So it's all around us. You know, from a consumer standpoint, one of the things that I think about when we talk about the uh, the tapering happening a lot earlier, we have to be concerned about it. You know, we're coming out of the Christmas season. So if you've racked up a lot of debt during Christmas and put it on credit cards and some of these buy now, pay, late, pay later kind of plans, you've got to be careful because those tend to more closely follow uh, interest rates. And so uh, if you racked up that debt, make sure you get it paid off here sometime before March uh, when we're likely to see that first rate hike. Yeah, I mean, listen, interest rates matter. They matter to, well, they're supposed to matter to bonds. Right now, Lee, they don't. Maybe you can talk so to much. that as well because bond yields are, are still low, but they matter to pretty much everything. Inflation is supposed to matter to everything, right? I mean, but it's amazing, isn't it, how little the bond market seems to care? Yeah, well, sometimes what we think we uh, tend to get in the markets is that when we're not surprised, that's okay. You know, you can anticipate bad news, if you will. You can anticipate things like, hey, listen, we just a few months ago, yeah, we're going to start tapering. And so uh, we're going to speed that process up some. But the dynamics of what's been going on indicated that that was a likely outcome. Uh, I think had we seen something drastically different than what Powell said on yesterday, uh, we'd have had a different outcome. But this was within the expected range of possibilities is the best way I describe it. Yeah, the expected range of possibilities for the stock market and our viewers, Lee, is long, but everybody seems right now to be sort of reluctantly bullish. All the surveys are like, well, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that, but yet they just keep powering stocks higher, a la yesterday. Are you reluctantly bullish or are you truly bullish on at least certain parts of the market? 
Oh, I guess the best way to describe me is being reluctantly bullish. You know, um, until enough things come together to say, yeah, we're going to have this downturn last longer than a few days or perhaps a week, uh, put me in the reluctantly bullish camp. There are things that I, I see out there in the markets that I, I, I like. Uh, you know, hey, everybody that's got anything invested in any sort of domestic large cap fund has got to love Apple. Uh, Apple seems to just keep rolling along uh, and, you know, dragging everybody else with it. Uh, you've got a dynamic there where you get to have a bit of the best of both worlds, where you get some participation in the tech sector and the stay at home play and that sort of thing. Uh, but Apple's a tremendous company. You're getting a little bit of a dividend yield there. Uh, so, again, candidly, I, I love it. Um, but still put me in that reluctantly bullish camp. Yeah, and, and you talked about Apple, Lee. Is that maybe not your best idea, but, and I called it a utility on the air the other day. I took some heat. People like, it's not a utility. I kind of felt like it was because I paid them this like almost monthly fee, regardless of even thinking about it. Is Apple one of your best bets for 2022? I'd say yes. You know, and, and like you, uh, you want to call it paying them that monthly fee, you know, here with a wife and two daughters and that kind of thing. Apple gets a lot of our money candidly. Uh, but I, I, I love Apple. Uh, for full disclosure, I have a holding, not that it matters with a $3 trillion valuation. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say Apple is, is one of my best picks from a, a 2022 perspective. Lee Baker, Apex Financial. Lee, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate you getting up early. Merry you, Christmas. Brian. Happy holidays. All right. Always, Lee. Thank you. We'll All see right. you in a few uh, days. Yep. Take care. All right. When we come back, because we are just getting started, the Biden administration announcing new steps to try to fight supply chain bottlenecks, this time taking aim at the truckers. Plus, a record-breaking year for deal-making, the new numbers, and whether that momentum can carry over into 2022. And later on, is Red Hot Reddit ready to go public? It may be. We'll tell you why when Wex rolls on right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, you saw some of the uh, Dow pre-market gainers there. In fact, Dow futures up more than 200 points. NASDAQ futures up more than a half a percent. Could be another good day for stocks following the big rally that we had yesterday post-Fed. Well, in the meantime, global consulting firm PwC is out with its annual report on mergers and acquisitions, you know, deal-making. 
And it's not only looking at the trends that define what was a record-breaking year for deal-making overall, but also what may lie ahead. Joining us now is Colin Whitmer. He is Deals Platform Leader at PwC. Colin, we appreciate you coming on because uh, I don't know about you, but all my buddies who are in either private equity or attorneys for private equity, uh, I can't go out to dinner with them, going back to our previous topic, because they're simply too busy doing deals. And your numbers back it up. I mean, the amount of deals has been staggering. Tell us about it and what you expect for next year. Hey, Brian, thank you for having me back. It's good to see you. You are right. It is unprecedented in terms of the amount of activity that we're seeing. Um, we're as busy as we've ever been and the entire M&A ecosystem is the same way. You know, as I reflect back on 2021, it was unprecedented, as you said, in terms of both volume and value. Um, for a couple reasons, right? One, the technicals were good. We have GDP growth. Um, we have corporate earnings growth. But you step back and you look at coming out of COVID, companies needed to do two things. One, they needed to transform. There was a longer term trend towards getting companies being more digitally fit. That trend accelerated coming out of COVID. And then as you think of their supply chains, there was a lot of deals that got done because coming out of COVID, they needed to have a more resilient supply chain. So there was the technical factors plus a real push coming out of COVID for people to transform their businesses. Yeah, and, you know, I remember reading the great book, Barbarians at the Gate. If you remember that, Colin, I may be dating myself about KKR's takeover of Nabisco at the time. Mm -hmm. the, I think it was the biggest deal ever at the time. Seems quaint now. And there was a line in the book where basically Henry Kravis of KKR was saying, why do a small deal, it takes the same amount of work as a big deal, and you can make a lot more money on the bigger deals. It apparently, and I'm summarizing, people listened because the number of what you call mega deals over That's five right. billion is what twenty nine more this year than the next biggest year. It's crazy. Yep. When you look at it, and you look at just twenty twenty versus twenty twenty one on mega deals, it went from fifty four to ninety nine. So quite a quite a substantive jump. So, and we define a mega deal as greater than five billion. But the other interesting trend that underlies that, if you look at what we're calling the not so quite mega deal, so a deal from 500 million all the way up to um, 5 billion, those those increased uh, substantially. They used to be between four and 500 a year, and there were 800 this year. Um, so reason for that is for some companies, a mega deal plus 5 billion is just not within reach, or the competition for that asset is just too great. So what you see them doing is piecing together smaller, although quite substantive deals greater than 500 million in order to piece together the capabilities that could have been a mega deal. So we saw a lot more activity in that space this year. Interest rates should matter, right? If money is cheap, you buy companies. You buy, by the way, for our viewers, they think this is mysterious. It's not. The same reason they refi their home or buy a car when rates are low is the same reason that private equity does it. The money is cheap. you got to put it somewhere. You can't make money just sitting around. If rates tick up a little bit, Colin, because nobody's saying they will a lot, will that slow it down or maybe just trim the party around the margins? Right. I think it's the latter. And, you know, there are many factors that impact M&A. But if you think of the ones that are, that are still very positive, you still got GDP growth. You still have uh, good corporate earnings. Yes, interest rates will take up debt. I think the Fed, I was just watching your show before this thing that they might do as many as uh, three interest rate hikes this coming year and a couple the next year. But where that lands in the history of M&A is still a very low interest rate. And you're right, private equity is an incredibly important part of the market. And if you just look at the numbers, 
Now they're up to 37% of the market. Two years before that, they were 28%. Two years before that, they were 24%. So they're a tremendous amount of liquidity yeah. is having anticipated in a big way in the market. And private equity execs do not get paid by sitting on cash. They get paid for deals and returns. And they let's be clear, they are getting paid this year. Colin Whitmer, PwC. Hope you're getting paid, my friend. Thanks for getting up early. We appreciate it. Really fascinating stuff. Thanks, Brian. All right, you're very welcome. All right, on deck. Could your grocery bill go even higher than it is now? Yep. We'll tell you why, including challenges some farmers are facing and what it could mean for you and what you pay at the store. We're back right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Thursday morning. We want to get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business. For those now, we go to NBC's Philip Mena in New York once again. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Brian. Good morning. A powerful and fast storm brought snow and dangerous wind gusts of up to 107 miles per hour in Colorado. That system is now stretched all the way into Michigan, knocking out power to over 400,000. And there have been reports of two possible tornado touchdowns in southern Minnesota. If either is confirmed, it'll be the first time that state has ever recorded a tornado in December. Serious damage also reported across Iowa and Nebraska. The Biden administration will no longer hold undocumented migrant families in detention facilities. That's according to Axios. The government will instead use ankle bracelets and cell phone monitoring to track migrant families. Last week, the U.S. released the last 100-plus family members from detention. DHS facilities will now only hold single adults. The administration is, however, still turning away thousands at the southern border, citing COVID safety and a court order to remain in Mexico policy. High school football's number one recruit is headed to Jackson State. Cornerback Travis Hunter flipped his commitment to, to Florida State to join the HBCU and famed head coach Deion Sanders. And finally, the Urban Meyer era in Jacksonville is over after only 13 games. In a statement, the Jaguars said they told Meyer that he was being fired, saying that he did not regain the team's trust and respect. Meyer went 2-11 with the Jaguars after signing a five-year deal with the franchise in January. His tenure was marked by controversy on and off the field, including a new Tampa Bay Times report where former Jags kicker Josh Lambeau alleges that Meyer kicked him during the preseason. Uh, the 57-year-old Meyer called Lambeau's description of that incident completely inaccurate. Regardless, Brian, his time in Jacksonville is over. Did not even last a year. Uh, it was. It, I think dumpster fire would be sort of the <laughs> primary way of call. But you wonder, is he going to get paid for the whole five years? A lot of these pro and college coaches, Philip, it's like they sign these big deals, 
They don't perform. They get paid out, by the way, as per their contract. So I yeah. get it. It's like you're, they're, they're set for generational wealth for winning two games. Amazing. Hey. Well, maybe not Meyer. He's won a lot of games in a previous life. Yeah, he sure did. And uh, but he, I mean, he just he did not look happy there the entire time. I mean, it was distraction after distraction. They had the number one pick, Trevor Lawrence, there. So you know, maybe they can get things back on track. Maybe next week after they play the Texans, they can get things back on track. That that is going to be. You talk about a dumpster fire. The Texans versus the Jaguars. <laughs> I can't think of a less. And I know you like the Texans. You're a Texas guy, but that's going to be the worst football game. It's going to be like seven to five. It's going to be like the the finals. Yeah, the, final the great American game, the so, great American pillow fight with six I interceptions. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, if you're on tomorrow, Philip, I'm going to be a I'm going to be a dumpster fire. I'm a Chargers fan. Big game tonight. Ooh. Bertha Coombs and I just talking about going out to dinner. I'm not sleeping. The show's going to be a disaster. Please don't watch. Philip, <laughs> thank you. All right. Absolute disaster tomorrow. All right, on deck. Your morning RBI on what may be one of the most important stories that is off the major headlines right now and how the European energy crisis is actually getting worse. You will not believe some of these numbers. And they are coming up in your morning RBI. Dow futures, by the way, up more than 250. Good morning. Grab a coffee. We're back right after this. Call it the Jayhawk, the Fed flapping its wings and going after inflation, but will it work? Steve Leishman is here to break it all down. Stock investors pulling a Taylor Swift, shaking it off, powering markets higher. Futures, they are up once again. Stay home. We'll tell you about the latest big company to tell its employees not to come back to the office. It is Thursday, December 15th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Thursday morning. Thanks very much for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. I'm Brian Sullivan. Let us get right to the markets and your money following those nice gains on Wednesday. And it looks like those gains could be even a little nicer today. Futures, they are higher across the board. Dow futures up more than 200, but NASDAQ, once again, the star. NASDAQ futures up more than one half of 1%, which is about 100 points for the NASDAQ. Of course, we had that big move higher for stocks on the Fed News Wednesday. Dow up 1%, but the NASDAQ up more than 2%. That, by the way, was a more than 300-point move higher. Truly remarkable move. Internally, 86 of NASDAQ 100 stocks rose. 12 of those moved up 4% or more, led by AMD, NVIDIA, ASML, and CrowdStrike. So three of the top four stocks of the NASDAQ 100 yesterday were semiconductor names. Big move higher there. Now, Wednesday's power move was a clear case of investors buying the actual news once the Fed confirmed what most of the smart money thought it was going to do. And here is really the three key takeaways from the Federal Reserve. Number one, they're going to double the pace of the taper. They see a couple of rate hikes coming vis-a-vis the dot plots. Sorry, jargon alert. And the Fed still is flexible. Speaking after the Fed wrapped this policy meeting, Jay Powell citing the increased impact of inflation for the central bank's latest move. All right. We're going to get more on the Fed with Steve Leisman in just a moment. But first, let's get more of this morning's top stories. Bertha Coombs is back with those. Bertha. 
I love being the warm-up act for Steve Leisman. The Biden administration this hour announcing new steps to combat supply chain bottlenecks. The White House rolling out a plan to address trucking workforce challenges. plan includes investing more than $30 million in funding to help states speed up commercial drivers' licenses and launching a 90-day challenge to create and expand apprenticeship programs in an effort to help trucker recruitment efforts. Reddit, meantime, has announced that it has, or rather, it made its first steps to become a public company. Social media company revealing it uh, submitted a draft resignation uh, statement to the SEC in order to do so. The company did not say how many shares would be offered or the price range for the proposed offering. Reddit most recently announced it had raised $700 million in August at a valuation of more than $10 billion. wonder what the Reddit hand, Redditors will use diamond hands for this one. Apple, meantime, is once again delaying the return of its corporate employees to offices. According to reports citing a memo from CEO Tim Cook, employees will no longer be going back in February as planned, and that date has now been pushed back indefinitely. Cook added that Apple will also be giving employees $1,000 to spend on home office equipment. Separately, Apple announced it has temporarily closed three stores in Miami, Maryland, and Ontario amid rising COVID cases. Meantime, Nike apparently taking a different approach on the return to the office. According to Business Insider, leaked emails show the company plans to move forward with employees returning despite heavy opposition. Fort says employees must return to offices at least three days a week starting January 10th. Brian, apparently more than half in an internal survey, said that doesn't really work for them. Well, they probably moved. I just don't want to tell the company. Yeah, sorry, I live in Bozeman now, no longer Eugene, Oregon. By the <laughs> yeah, way, Bertha, right. hold on. I saw I saw your tweet saying you're impressed. I'm going out to follow the Chargers. <laughs> My team are playing tonight. I just want to show alert. The show's going to be a total disaster tomorrow. I'm going to be exhausted. <laughs> so you said you're ordering in. What is the Bertha Coombs ordering of choice? What's your go-to in New York City? Uh, you know, I need to know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It depends. Uh, oftentimes it's it's Asian. You know, I'm I'm kind of in the mood for a little pad siu, little Thai. Ooh, little pad siu, not pad Thai. The pad siu. I like that. No, I like the thicker noodle. noodles. Yeah. Yes, the thicker noodles. Yep. And the, the way sauce is better. Bertha. <laughs> yeah, Bertha Coombs. <laughs> Bertha, Drink plenty you. of water tonight. That that well, helps in the morning. <laughs> well, depends on what the Chargers do in the game, depending on what I'm drinking. Bertha, thank you very much. All right. <laughs> Pat, see you. Wednesday's market move higher was a clear case of investors buying the actual news once the Fed confirmed what most of the smart money thought it was going to do. And by the way, if you were paying attention, what Steve Leisman's Fed survey said was likely to happen. Speaking of Steve, since we're dropping his name, he just pops up. That's how TV works. Uh, Steve, you and your Fed survey pretty much called it. The market loved it anyway. What's going on? Yeah, uh, Brian, look, the Fed just delivered on the guidance to quicken the pace of the removal of pandemic emergency relief. And it reversed course and it's taken steps now to fight inflation, which is now the primary focus of monetary policy. So here's what they did. Uh, you just gave him a, a, a rundown here. Uh, it doubled the pace of its taper or uh, uh, 
reduction of asset purchase to 30 billion a month. That should end QE by March. It kept interest rates unchanged. But then Fed Chair Powell suggested, hey, the maximum employment <clears throat> criteria that's needed for rate increases was pretty near here, real close. And it projected about three rate hikes next year and about three more in 2023. We are phasing out our purchases more rapidly because with elevated inflation pressures and a rapidly strengthening labor market, the economy no longer needs increasing amounts of policy support. In addition, a quicker conclusion of our asset purchases will better position policy to address the full range of plausible economic outcomes. So Powell wasn't shy about saying among those plausible outcomes are higher interest rates. So the FOMC now forecasting the funds rate will rise to just under 1% by the end of next year, up from just 25 basis points. The funds rate now expected to hit 1.6% by year-end 2023. In fact, 10 of the 18 committee members now see three rate hikes next year. Markets, they seem to cheer not only that the Fed pivot was not more hawkish than expected, but that the long-run outlook suggested fewer rate hikes perhaps than expected. Still, the question is no longer if the Fed will first, rate, first hike rates, but when, once the taper is complete. BMO Economics writes, rate hikes are being teed up because of inflation, but the pandemic could still have a say on whether the Fed swings the tightening club in March, May, or June. So what's the market say? The probability of rate hike in March now priced at just 32%, while it's 57% for May. So the Fed now seen going on a hike come the spring, Brian. Yeah, and they remain flexible, do they not? Kind of to your point, we're watching Omicron or whatever the next strain is. We're watching COVID, returning to all yeah. this stuff. I mean, they, the, the Jayhawk, as we will call him, he has the power to change him or his, his teammates' minds, does he not? Yeah, he's pretty good at this. Um, and, and, Brian, I'm, I'm just wondering if he's too good. And, and let me explain why. This is, gets a little complicated mm -hmm. by monetary policy. When you think about how Fed policy works, it works by, you know, on, on the, uh, to battle inflation by tightening financial conditions. What did the market do? The market went higher. What happened to interest rates there unchanged? There's been very little tightening of financial conditions. So the question is, is Fed policy working the way that Powell wants it to? He's, they're very confident in their ability to fight inflation, but they do so through the markets. If you don't tighten financial conditions, you're not going to do much to fight inflation. Yeah, but, but here's the delicate balancing act, right? We're seeing this explosion in Omicron cases in the UK. Luckily, most of them are asymptomatic with, with not serious outcomes yet. Let's hope that continues. If we get this sort of renewed slowdown in the Northeast due to COVID in the, in the winter, Steve, but inflation remaining hot, I mean, I don't know if you read Greek literature, right? The Scylla and Charybdis, those two rocks. You do wonder if Jay Powell's going to have to try to get through that, right? Because the siren of inflation is going to be calling over here, but then he might be facing a slowing economy over there. Um, here, here's the thing, Brian, about the Powell pivot that was probably the most momentous part and the thing that was the first thing that clued me in. It was Monday night, uh, whatever the, the, the date was before his first testimony. I think his first testimony was the 30th. So it would have been the evening of the 29th when his congressional testimony came out. And he said, you know what? We could get another round of this virus or another variant. And the concern here is that it's going to be inflationary. The pivot here is that the Fed now sees future variants as inflationary and not weak demand. And, and the story here, Brian, is that 
consumers and the United States in general has found a way to work its way through and continuing economic growth and economic activity through each variant. And the problem is the supply side, not the demand side. And that's why the Fed has pretty firmly pivoted here towards fighting inflation, even in the face of a coming variant. Yeah, well, we're, we're looking at the futures right alongside you, Steve. And Dow futures up nearly 300, NASDAQ up a half a percent. So the market buying the news. But if they would have listened to your Fed survey, they would have known this already, right? I mean, why don't pay attention to Lisa? Yeah. Forget about the news. Thanks, Brian. Agree. You're very welcome, Steve. Thank you very much. Those Fed surveys, they can move markets. All right, coming up. Is your already high grocery bill about to go even higher? It likely is, and it has a lot to do with farmers. That story is ahead. Wex returns right after this. All right, welcome or welcome back and good morning. It is not a great time to be a farmer. A new study from Purdue University and the CME Group shows that farmer sentiment is at its lowest point of the year. The report indicating the mood in November actually 30% lower than the year before. And that says something. Joining us now is Jim Minter. He's professor of agricultural economics and the director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture at Purdue University, also the principal investigator of the Agricultural Barometer, and grew up on a farm. Uh, Jim, uh, welcome to the program. Let's talk about this. Uh, in a former life, believe it or not, before TV, I actually traded chemical commodities. Many of those we're chemical fertilizers. So I'm urea phosphates, triple superphosphates, diammonium nitrate. So I am very aware of what is happening in that market. The price are out of control. Is this all about fertilizer costs or is it fertilizer plus other stuff? That's a great question. And it's really fertilizer plus other stuff. But you've highlighted the number one issue for crop farmers. Uh, fertilizer prices are off the charts. Uh, nitrogen, which is the single biggest fertilizer input for corn production, has tripled in price since a year ago. Uh, and I'm going to say that again. It has tripled in price because you were talking earlier yep. about inflation. This is much more than inflation. And I think from a lot of agricultural producers' perspective, it's really about the supply chain issues, right? So it's, it's not just this general inflation that's taken place. It's this huge disruption with respect to the supply chain. And the most severe aspect of it right now is fertilizer. The follow-up to that is what's taking place with respect to pesticides. Um, those prices are up sharply as well. And in both cases, there's a supply issue with respect to whether or not farmers are able to get what they want and what they need to produce a crop in the 2022 crop season. It's all about natural gas. And that's why we've highlighted stocks like CF Industries and Mosaic. Some of these stocks, you know, the fertilizer makers in America but, Jim, this is going to be a next year story, is it not? Because I, I didn't grow up on a farm like you did, but I know that crops don't grow overnight. So if I'm a farmer and I'm buying chemical fertilizer now, I'm going to pass through that price next year. Well, farmers in the short run are price takers, right? So it's going to be determined by how many bushels of corn and how many bushels of soybeans are produced as opposed to what the actual cost of production are. You're right from a longer run perspective if these costs remain elevated you would expect to see commodity prices react to the cost of production. But in the shorter run, in 2022, it's largely going to be about whether or not farmers are able to obtain the supplies that they need to put a crop in the ground in the spring of 22, uh, excuse me, 2022. 
And right now, I think the expectation is we will be able to get those supplies, although it's unclear. And this is going to be a debate that takes place all winter long with respect to availability, transportation, snafus, uh, you name it. Every every single issue that's facing the rest of the economy is being exacerbated in the agricultural sector. Bingo. And and I talked to a wine store owner uh, yesterday. Don't judge me. Uh, Jim, I know it's not crops, but it does come from grapes. And he was moaning and groaning about his shipping container problem. And I would imagine that this this supply chain stuff we've talked about in this network and shown also impacts farmers in Indiana and Wisconsin and Nebraska trying to, A, get their stuff to market and B, the prices they're paying if they can get a rail car or a container. Yeah, the issue right now probably is more on the container side with respect to imports. Uh, a significant portion of crop inputs, namely some of the pesticides are, and fertilizer, are imported. And that has really caused the issue here, I think, with respect to what's taking place with respect to prices. And I guess the other thing to think about is this is a worldwide issue. This isn't just facing American farmers. It's also facing farmers in South America, Europe, and elsewhere in the world. So these fertilizer prices are elevated in the U.S. They're elevated elsewhere. Pesticide prices are elevated in the U.S. They're elevated elsewhere. So this is more of a worldwide phenomena, but it really is about this supply chain disruption yeah. and the inability to move products around the world. Um, and, and really a byproduct of the fact that we've moved to this model of distributing production across the world and then bring it into the, in, to the locations where we need it in a timely basis. And all of a sudden that's been disrupted. And boy, has it just created a yep. tremendous amount of problems. It's like the butterfly effect. It flaps its wings in a port in China, and a farmer in Indiana gets hurt. Jim Minter to Purdue. Jim, we appreciate it. It's an important story. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. All right, folks, short break here. Stock futures are up. You're very welcome. Stock futures are up. We're going to talk about it more right after the break. Well, today's RBI is about something that we have talked about before on this program, and that is Europe's growing energy crisis. And though COVID and Omicron are stealing all the headlines, this is a really big story that needs to continue to be told because something incredible just happened. Natural gas futures trading in the Netherlands, which is the key marketplace for spot natural gas trades in Europe, just hit another new high. The January contract now trading above where it was in October. Let me repeat that. Spot natural gas prices are now higher than those incredible eye-popping records that we talked about two months ago. Okay, so you're probably looking at that chart and thinking, well, it looks bad, but what exactly does it mean? Well, it means a few things. First, this chart is priced in dollars per megawatt of energy. So what it's saying is that natural gas spot prices are actually basically around the same as $40 natural gas contracts in the U.S. The ones that we show you on CNBC where we're paying less than $4. So Europe's natural gas trading is 10 times the price of ours. Also, it means that any power company or supplier that is paying these prices to use as fuel to generate electricity is going to do one of two things. First, they're going to jack up power rates to consumers as much as they are allowed under law. And by the way, they already have. Next, they're going to go out of business because they can't raise electricity prices enough to cover their input costs. And we've already seen more than two dozen of these fail in the UK. The bottom line is this. Electricity prices have never, ever been higher across Europe. In France and Germany, they're now paying more than 400 euros per megawatt hour. Here in America, 
we average about $20 to $40 for the same amount of power, depending on the weather. So Europe, at 10 times more than the U.S. for power, and if it gets colder, it could get worse. This is not just a business story. It's a human story, because millions may suffer, either can't afford to pay their heat or have to make some really, really tough choices. Watch this space and learn some lessons from it. It is a big deal. All right, back now to the broader markets. Bring in Kevin Simpson, founder and CIO at Capital Wealth Planning. Kevin, don't worry, not going to ask you to. Uh, I just, I'm glad we live in America, where, by the way, we have a steady supply of relatively low-cost energy, at least for now. That's good news. We do have a steady supply of buyers in the stock market also, apparently. You are one of them, but only in select spaces. And there are some oil and gas names that you actually kind of like. We do, Brian. And there was years where uh, energy names here in the United States were very, very laggard underperformers. But as of late, you know, you, you look at the way these companies are pivoting into a, a greener space, a, a more socially conscious space. We've been adding to Chevron for the past few years, and, and boy, has it turned out to be a good investment, not only from a profitability standpoint, seeing share prices appreciate, but also from a dividend standpoint. And I think as we move forward, dividends become so important. And within the energy space, uh, there's, there's certainly lots of opportunities. Not every name is going to be a company you want to invest in. With, with a tightening environment that we're headed into, we've got to look at profitability and valuations. But if you stick with best of breed, I think you can do very, very well. Yeah, we've talked to the CEO of Chevron lately, Mike Worth, and he said it's about fiscal discipline. We're going to give our money back to shareholders. I know you probably got to like that. Best in breed also in the banks, many would say would be Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs, two other names that you like. Why? Yeah, I think for the same reason, if we head into a rising interest rate environment, Brian, you've got to check off the box with financials. Sounds easy. Everyone talks about it. But if you're looking at valuations, if you're looking at earnings, if you're looking at profitability, and especially with those two names, if you look at dividend growth, very, very powerful. You know, quality is subjective. It's a word we throw around all the time. So I think we need to get away from that. Really look at profitability, valuations, earnings growth, and dividend growth. It's a common theme throughout the whole portfolio. But best of breed, I think, makes sense, especially in an environment where we get off of a zero interest rate trade. You can't just buy anything. You can't speculate on anything. You know, valuations will yeah. matter tomorrow more than ever before. Yeah, and I, and I was reading the notes, Kevin, because not like I just plucked these names out of thin air, by the way, even if our viewers think I do. I do not. I read the notes and saw you were a buyer of Cisco, and I did a double take. I'm like, Cisco, not a name I've heard a lot about. It's kind of been left out there in the trash heap of tech, but you like it now. Why? You know, we like things when they get beat up. Is it uh, buying when there's blood in the streets or good things happen to cheap stocks? When they came out with earnings, I mean, they bashed the company. Again, thinking of rising earnings, thinking of dividends. I mean, it's an old school tech name if you still want to call it that. But the, but the reality is, I mean, I think we're up 8 or 9% since that drop after earnings. And this is a name that will give you and, and lend itself to a little bit more quality. Uh, there's some big names out there from a valuation basis. They've gone, uh, you know, like like a meteor uh, to the moon. I loved what you said about Apple as far as it being a utility. And I was kind of thinking the same thing as you were talking about it earlier. We own Microsoft. We own Apple, best of breed. But sometimes yep. when you get into a world like this where everything isn't going straight up, you've got to really look for value. Cisco is one of those plays. We like it. A lot of opportunity in all the names you brought us. Kevin Simpson, appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for getting up early. Have a great day. Merry Christmas. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you.
Merry Christmas, Brian. And with that, folks, we wrap it up here on a Worldwide Exchange. Thank you very much. I will see you tomorrow on a Friday morning. Dow futures up. NASDAQ futures up. We're glad you're up. And Squawk and the gang, they're up next. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.